Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, hello. Back for another wonderful Spirited Conversations episode. We have a wonderful topic, I'm hoping, for today. Last episode we finished, I think we just mentioned a young woman that Tracy was working with. And she had done a really comprehensive treatment program with this young lady and it had allowed all of this amazing function to come about. And so we really want to jump straight back on that and discuss a bit more about that and hopefully then open up the conversation to more vestibular-based questions and ideas and principles and treatment. And so hopefully this will be really valuable for people. I'm looking forward to it. So Tracy... Hello and um, and hello, Michelle. But um, can you just give us a little refresher um, on that young woman? Just just a general idea of of her, what happened, and then we can ask you more questions about how you went with treatment. Yeah, absolutely. So it's great to be here with you guys. And you know, when um, we were talking in the last episode, we were really talking about postural development and a lot of different concepts, but we converged around this issue of vestibular functioning and vestibular processing and all of the very many ways that it impacts you. And I think, you know, all of us have different cases that just live with us even many years after we haven't treated these individuals because we learn so much from them. And so this young woman was referred to me through a community resource, uh, somebody who knew me and knew that this family had been struggling, but also from her physical therapist. So this is a woman who was diagnosed with autism when she was a very little girl. So she, when she came to see me, she was, I think, about 17. I was going to go back and look it up, but then I thought that's the least important detail. But (laughs) she's very minimally verbal, highly interested in all things Walt Disney, pretty aloof to most social interaction. She lives with her parents who were older when they had her. Her mom was nearly 50 when she was born. They had always had her in a center-based school program in a school district that offered a lot of supports for, for students like this. So she'd had a lot of resources, but most of them were focused really on, you know, having her work on her engagement and her communication, her socialization as primary focuses. But what was interesting was that she was so rigid in her posture. For years, this had been described. Before I started seeing her, people had really talked about her as always being really fixed and rigid in her posture. She would walk with very little rotation, 
And that was why she was actually in physical therapy because she just looked uncomfortable in her own body. And the PT who was working with her, I had known for years and years and years and is a dear colleague. And when this woman was referred to me, the PT came to the first sessions and she would sort of hit herself on the head like, why didn't I think to refer her to you years ago? Because... It's so evident that this really was based in more of a vestibular function, but everybody was just seeing it as like the surface of the behavior. And the PT had been working with her around trying to build fluidity in her movement patterns and more kind of grace and ease. And mostly what she was doing with her was working with her playing just music because she this woman loves music still today Adele was a favorite back then and (laughs) she would put Adele on and then have her be on a treadmill and vary the speed of the treadmill and try to just get her to work on on repetitive movement patterns with a little bit more bilaterality so she had her holding on to like a pool noodle And then the PT would sort of move it in a rhythm and that would sort of guide this woman to get a little bit more. And she'd been doing this for like a couple of years (laughs) and it wasn't really helping her to generalize that. But then also the primary reason that she actually came to me was that the caseworker who was helping them with adult transition planning asked the parents, you know, what is, what's something that would be helpful? And they really brought up this whole laundry list of things that included really primarily that she would never bend over. She would never lean over to pick up her shoes off the floor. That was the primary thing that the parents kept talking about. Even if she was getting dressed, trying to pull her pants up, the bending part of it, she was so avoidant of bending. She was avoidant of moving her head out of an upright position for hair washing, things like that. So those had been restrictions that had been noted by the parents for like more than a decade, but nobody had really worked on it from an underlying why is this happening because she'd been in really a behavior-based oriented program Mm. and everyone saw this as, well, let's just work on her behavior. Mm. So we were in the clinic that, uh, We have this large warehouse-like gym, but from the offices into the gym, there was this set of four stairs, and it was open to the right-hand side Mm. with a metal railing, and it opened into this open space. It was a little bit of a funny staircase. I don't know how to describe it exactly. But I have this really distinct memory of bringing her into the gym for the first time. And she got to the top of the stairs and she really froze. Mm. She couldn't proceed with taking that first step. Because I think to her, it almost looked like she was going into space Mm. that was unbounded. And so I created a barrier with my own body to assist her. But then they talked a lot about, oh, this is another one of those things that, you know, if she has to go downstairs that aren't two walls, but anything open, that she'll always have this freeze response. Mm -hmm. And her freeze response would then trigger lots of repetitive motion, lots of repetitive holding of her breath. 
and feeling kind of trapped and scared. Mm -hmm. And she would look trapped and scared. Mm -hmm. You know, any movement of her head out of upright brought about that same fear Mm -hmm. response. You really saw it as this very, very tied into how her system just had not found gravitational security in any way. And she was so afraid and yet so brave and wanting to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. So in that treatment space, we had this loft that was against the far wall and there was a darkness to the shading, I guess, in that space. And she was sort of interested in that and wanted to go over and explore it. So there was a motivation that she was pretty tuned into her environment and wanted to move and explore. So I'm pretty familiar uh, with the whole theory of vestibular-based processing mm. and what is gravitational insecurity. That might be an understatement. You're so humble. <laughs> I've read a few books or two. <laughs> You know, what's interesting, though, about that is that um, her and her family being received by me, who could understand them on a different level, was, I I think, the first step in the treatment. Isn't that interesting? I agree. I have that feeling listening to your recount just then was like, oh, somebody got it. It was like I could take a breath, let go of the tension Mm. of that feeling of, her whole life probably being encouraged to do something that was there was lower processing things getting in the way and it's like oh Tracy I'm so glad they found you (laughs) yeah totally well and and it's so funny because to this day I'll see this woman sometimes in the community at something and she always is like you know wants to touch my face and rub my arm and come and be with me because she knows that it was like Mm. an essential thing that Mm. happened in her life so so as we went down the stairs the first time I also have this really felt memory of her getting to the bottom and doing kind of a shudder breath Mm. like when we landed on Mm. the bottom And the shutter breath was really paired to her landing her feet Mm. on like a surface that she could trust. So that was sort of what I knew to be her regulation Mm. of her own gravitational insecurity Mm. because she showed it to me. Mm. So what we did was we went into the gym and we used, I used a platform swing because she could understand it as like a chair and she mm. would sit on it. And we just played with that process that I just explained to you that she showed me she had, which was let's sit on here and move until it feels a little bit uh-oh. And then in the uh-oh, let's land that mm. in our feet and in our breath. And so we played with that relationally, and she got really playful with me and pretty fast, actually, in being able to explore that and understand that when she started to get scared, that it wasn't something to overwhelm her, but it was something to land and ground and release. And so we played with that process, and then we added music. I started using ambiently in the space because I wanted to stay more in connection with her than headphones might Mm. allow. But I did use a therapeutic listening 
Uh, it was actually modulated music at the time because we didn't really have quick shifts then through the therapeutic listening vital links uh, method. But I played an ambient sound, which might have been a little muddled, mm. but I felt like it was sort of helpful. And then right away started her on a modulated music therapeutic listening sequence. So we did a therapy intensive over several months where she would come in a couple times a week and I would work with her and show her mom. And also they were transitioning the role of this woman in their life from nanny to friend provider. And all these years later now, she still actually lives with that woman. But she was this instrumental person in her life. So they would come, either mom or this woman or the two of them, to the sessions. And then we just, re- and then the PT was also coming intermittently. And we started to really work on how do we help her feel her mm-hmm. movement patterns, her rotational movement patterns? Can we help her find rotation in upright? Because her head wasn't ready to move out of upright. But can we, you know, find somebody behind me, somebody in front of me? And we started to really work on that. And being able to recover from the disruption that would happen so very rapidly for her as soon as she moved her head too much. But, you know, the vestibular system wants to find movement and it wants to find its centering points. So whenever you're working with kids, you have to really work on those two places. Like, here's your landing ground, here's your reference point, and then let's move off of that and see what happens and come back. Mm-hmm. And so we just did that in so very many different ways. It took several, several weeks before we could start to move out of that upright position. And how we did that was that she had been watching this nanny slash transitional adult person do some yoga, mm-hmm. and she was pretty interested in that. So we started by getting figuring out how to get down on the mat, and she would get on the mat and then collapse, and it would take quite a lot. So then we started to work just on the mat in kind of rolling, and at first she couldn't really roll, but we would do side to side, and we played a lot of games and did silly sounds, and we would have... Adele parties where we would um <laughs> I loved it. it was very fun um I'm just remembering all of it it was quite hilarious but then she was able to really start to do transitional movements through this kind of let's try yoga and let's have an Adele dance party and let's move on the swing and those became our anchor activities and from that we were able to really move into the sequence of you know, head movements, postural movements, eye movements, and coupling those across the different sequences that you might follow, all the time really making sure that she knew that she could come back to grounding and safety because the disruption that would happen in terms of modulation was so very real and trapping her, but it was trapping her ability to use the system to get any discriminative detail. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of moving between vestibular discrim and modulation kind of continually, Mm -hmm. but then really just moving through the sequence like you would in the astronaut protocol, but not doing the protocol, but really Mm -hmm. thinking about the way that it unfolds. 
and then giving the movement opportunities that she really enjoyed to have them do those every day at home. And so we were focused on that with the therapeutic listening as kind of a background beat of support. And it really started to shift for her. So when I noticed the biggest shift was maybe three months later, I remember we went to go up the stairs back into the lobby and her gait changed on the stairs where she found that she could step and then step and not have to step on one step with Mm. each two feet. And the freedom of rotation in her postural system that allowed for that to happen, she she realized it and started to play with going up and down the stairs on her own, which was really huge because it was also like gravitational security allowed her to move into that higher level Mm. postural work. And she needed both. She, you can't just treat one without the other, but they, they have to be paired to each other. So once she found that freedom of movement, then it was a lot easier. Then we could start to do more yoga poses and use different varieties of swings because she found security. And finding that base of security is what allowed that. Yeah. So I think I told you in the last episode that her, her favorite activity now is to help her helper plan Disney cruises and they go on these cruises and she loves being on a boat now, which I think is kind of the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. So does that kind of give you a flavor for... Oh my gosh. (laughs) There is so much in what you just said. Michelle, you're probably having the same thoughts. All the complexity. Yeah, but also the patience because Tracy has a textbook in her brain about vestib and vestib development, neurodevelopment. But you were so – and your observations started before any formal clinical assessments. You're observing, you're noticing the impact on function, you know, noticing that was discriminant modulation together and that you just really couldn't even proceed with a vestibular program as such and move through typical neurodevelopment like flexion extension, you know, nodding of the head, I guess, perhaps first – you needed to ground her feet. You needed to address that safety and connection issue, help her feel safety and what she could do to find that embodied felt safety and let her sense that you weren't going to push her too fast, too slow, like she could find it for herself. You know, bring in the the things that bring her joy that would move her and you towards being able to do a pretty specific vestib program but you you just can't start there I love the patience and the skill that's taken you to do that Trace amazing so it's it's so amazing I have to thank Adele for the song hello because (laughs) it was one of the activities we we could have somebody be behind her and be like hello and then she would go to look and then it was so it was a part of the treatment (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) The other thing that struck me so strongly, that there was clearly the containment of safety in you and not pushing her too far. So there was always that relationship underneath everything that you did. But the... It just hit me strongly then, that difference, the discrimination. So 
it was so clear there was a massive modulation piece right there right in front of you like she was terrified there's your biggest modulation cue ever, right? I cannot tolerate this experience. It's too much for my system and I can't stay regulated. So it's like struck you bang on the, the moment you got her into that space where it triggered it off. But the other thing was that you were weaving in the discrimination piece together. You didn't, the modulation mm. piece was there and she couldn't tolerate the input, but through the relationship and the just rightness of what you were doing of discriminating my body's moving, my body stopped, regulate. My body's moving, my body stopped, regulate. It was like the moving piece is discrimination, right? But I have to modulate. It it, it was just, there was so much complexity to what you were just saying because Mm. you weren't just working on helping her modulate vestibular input, but you you were doing that, but you were doing that precisely through the discriminative system and you were doing it in a stepwise way because you started in upright, you didn't move her out of upright for quite a while. You had to help her discriminate her head in space in upright in facing forward position. And then you had to help her figure out her head in upright, turning away from forward facing and then coming back to and regulating again. And throughout this whole thing, you're doing it through relationship and you're like stepwising it through all of the ways that you understand the vestibular system. Mm. And so I, it's just pretty amazing to hear that story unfold. And of course, what you got was this unfolding of mm. function without pushing. You got, mm. you, the, you put in the pieces that she needed and then suddenly she was able to engage in her life in a different way. Yeah, you know, it's so true. It's also this interesting thing around our vestibular system is so essential to our sense of our body schema. Mm. And part of that is the relationship that we have to gravity. But she had almost cut out any awareness of what was happening sort of below her shoulders. You know, Mm. she didn't look down. She didn't reach down. She didn't relate to the rest of her body very well. And so she she would almost look like a visually impaired person sometimes the way she walked, Mm. the way that adults in her life navigated with her through the world it was as if she was missing that whole lower visual field because she didn't really regard it and Mm. so the thought of there's something down there that could be interesting to me was the farthest thing in the world from her lived reality until it wasn't Mm. and you know it's just Mm. an amazing thing Mm. that when you lift that veil literally of security giving security and so the gravitational insecurity in dr Ayers's frame is sometimes talked about more as a vestibular discrimination issue but i think you know you have to be really careful to tease it from which mm. place is it coming and for her it was a bit of both for sure mm. and yeah i think just questioning the assumptions that we might have and just staying open to what is this person's experience? You know, I mean, I've had so many interesting cases where the vestibular, the really frank vestibular function was what was driving Mm. everything. You know, I know we could talk more about this case, but I'd love to hear what you're, what that brings up for you, what questions it brings up, what 
processes it brings up like um trace i had questions around what you noticed and some of the first movements that you got her to make on the platform swing i'm assuming the steps went down and so part of her you know stopping at the top of the steps was that she just couldn't flex her head to to either oriented eyes down enough below the horizontal to see that the steps went down that perhaps in a periphery she just saw that there was a nothingness to it and uh, my other assumption was that it may have had a spatial quality that without that right-sidedness before you became the rail down which was really a, a vertical thing that provided some space where there was a lack of a thing to help orient her to the vertical is that that's why she stopped I'm curious so whether was the steps down and is that what your thinking was Trace that it was the flexion of the head that was problematic and why she might have stopped yeah absolutely so I think anything downward space she had sort of cut off And even in that, she had really almost lost any of the freedom of flexion extension. So even in her gestures, um, in her gestural communication and in her interaction, she didn't use like a yes, no head shake or anything like that. Like she was so rigid and held. So the lack of being able to just freely take in the space around her and use this normal, you know, kind of mechanism of eye gaze, of head movement, of head on posture. None of that was Mm. secure for her. Yeah, it was pretty profound. So I'm wondering, I know this just evolves and sometimes you just get what you get and you make the best choices, but you did mention that she was gaining stability through her feet. You noticed that that was part of what was regulating for her so that you offered that in the platform swing I I know with the platform swing there's usually you know it's a bit wider so there's the vertical ropes that can sometimes provide a spatial thing I'm guessing she was hanging on to that I would have wondered about moving getting her to move inflection um, and extension through the head on body first. You just mentioned that she was turning around in backwards space. So did you go to backwards space first or was that just in your recount? Yeah, I think that was more in the recount. Um, So definitely first it was a flexion extension kind of pattern. And very, you know, it was really just... Her whole body moving mm. as a whole single mm. unit, sitting mm. on this platform like a like a statue mm. almost. And she would move forward and come back. And then I would help her find the ground mm. again and try to repeat that kind of shudder like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. <sighs> We're here together kind mm. of a thing because that was connecting mm. for her. She knew that I had noticed that with her. We had shared that moment and she wanted, you know, she knew that I was going to be holding that with her. So we did that a lot. She was just sitting. And then within that, I started to try to help her find her power through her upper trunk and her arms in when I pull, what happens? When I push, Mm. what happens? Mm. Now, she was kind of familiar with a pull, push or a side to side because... 
of some of the work that the PT had been doing with her and the pool noodle. So I used that as a reference point for her. We, I put a pool noodle for her to hold on to so she could hold both with her hands in pronation and then we would put her hands in neutral. Just that, so even if you just do that while you're sitting here listening to this compelling conversation, <laughs> but if you, if you put your hands out in front of you and you're in pronation and then go to neutral, feel what it does mm. to your upper trunk yeah. and how it changes your breath pattern, mm. right? And the alignment. So you get into capital flexion with a little bit of internal rotation of the upper extremity Mm, and then you can go into extension so we could start to play with that just through her hand position rather than me forcing it it was really just giving her an opportunity through biomechanics to feel the postural shifts that happen and then to pair those postural shifts to the movement and the rhythm so that the vestibular postural mechanism is starting to work in synchrony because I'm putting the synchrony in. Mm. She didn't have any, Mm. she didn't arrive with synchrony. So I had to help her find that. Does that make sense? Wow. I just wanted to pull apart that for one second. So initially you had on the platform swing, she was sitting. I'm assuming her feet were on the ground, given her gravitational insecurity. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she's sitting, feet are planted on the ground and were you displacing the swing slightly? Yep. Just the slightest. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, when you stand on a surface and it starts to shift forward and you get this almost lag of the body, your feet move. And so your body sort of lags back for a second. Then you kind of catch up with your postural mechanism adjusting to the movement. Yeah. So just that level of displacement for her was probably enough to then create an arousal shift change increase in arousal that you then helped her organize by stopping yeah finding breath and helping her recenter herself in that moment is that that's that's exactly right and then Corey this is a powerful thing oh go for it go 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 I see okay I just have one more question so because that level of intensity for her in terms of arousal shifting so you've just slightly displaced her her feet are still on the ground she's holding on and it was enough to create a shift and a spike in her nervous system from that level of vestibular input you then tried to pair the proprioceptive cues from her arm and shoulder girdle by helping her hold on but change the position in the way that she had her hands so having her hands hold on to something fists with like palms facing down and then helping her rotate, which created all these proprioceptive cues. I'm guessing that that was helping her find some level of head movement that was more modulated by the proprioceptive cues in her hands. Is that and that right? she was doing it for herself? Yeah, I think I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, and landing it into her posture. The here I am, I'm grounded, and I just did that, and my head moved, and I'm okay, and here I am. But here's the other, yes, 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 all of that. But here's another really interesting thing. (laughs) Dr. Ayers talked about this, and I think we need to talk about it a lot more. She talked about it 
all the way back like in the early 1970s. But this is a real true neurological phenomenon of the vestibular apparatus. And that is that when we have vestibular integration, it gives us the information we need through the sensory motor system to have feed-forward control. Postural and gravitational insecurity is almost a lack of feed forward. You, everything mm. happens to you. Mm. And mm. so in moving her head and landing her body and feeling minor little baby postural adjustments, it was like the script got flipped finally and she mm. could feed forward what was going to happen when she moved. Mm. And that was vestibularly mediated and the and the crux of the whole formula basically. So if you don't have good quality information from your vestibular apparatus to signal my head's moving or my head's not moving, then I can't predict I have I I will get frightened potentially get frightened if you displace me or move me because I can't predict I can't anticipate that feeling or integrate that feeling in my nervous system is that right That's right and my body doesn't okay. compensate for it and so I have to do something to stop that happening cuz the body if the vestib system isn't activating the postural muscles to s- turn on and stabilize then she's at the whim of a body not moving or moving. Ooh. Trace, that's so um, brilliant that you – it's tempting to put them on a swing and give them a little ride, particularly when you work with younger kids who it's a bit more age-appropriate that they be in the playground and have a – you know, be on the swings. It's, it's tempting to miss these bits Ooh. where you start providing the stib input just to their body. I know she was sitting on a swing, but it it feels like she got more input than she might typically allow mm, by some pretty minor movement. And, and, and even in that pronation, supination, you know, shifting that and what that lifted the body and slumping back down and that she learned that she was – had capacity to have a master over that like that rather than if you're on a swing and kids are getting able to make um process the vestib and anticipates what's coming up there's still there's a passivity to it Mm. that um you kind of took away by making it body-based first the other thing though that uh comes to mind for me is if you were watching so you had no idea about the vestibular system. You didn't know anything about OT or sensory integration or Dr. Ayres and you were a newbie to any of this and you came in and all you saw was Tracy sitting in front of this young woman on a swing, moving her slightly and then going, oh, you would be so confused. What the heck is this person doing? Don't you think? Like you would be like, why are we, what is happening? But I love, I love, people said she was really good and she just sat there. You know what? It's amazing. Even in, I, I do find this though, even when parents I can tell are a little bit like, what is going on? What is, what is Corey doing? 
they see the magic somehow <laughs> they feel and see the magic of that child somehow coming alive almost in a way the cool thing is though tracy is that you would have been able to at some point explain the why why you were doing that and then they could come to understand this process mm. with you as you did this i'm i'm assuming but yeah <laughs> I'm sure we all have that feeling of this parent probably thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> it's so true. But here's the thing, you know, if you want to read more about this and go into the neuro, uh, yes. you, you can read whole books on it. But if you read page 57 in the Sensory Integration and Learning Disorders oh. book, let me grab the one. last two paragraphs and the next page, 58, it just tells you exactly what I did and why and what the neuroscience is. So, and this was, book was published, you know, a long time ago, but it is, it's the thing. Like, this is the where you get mm. the information you need. The challenge, though, is that book's not in print anymore. Do you know how many hundreds of dollars <laughs> these books are? My goodness. I've got it I in know. its own little, like, vault thing. Trace, can I? I've got 57, I think, um and 58 tagged my question for you which I um when I revisited her beautiful brilliant book is that I've missed in my reading or understanding the potential impact of vestibular function on whole of muscle tone I think in my I was just so focused on and perhaps some of the um, courses I've done and the real focus on function and moving through that, you know, developmental capacities of, you know, flexion extension, weight shifts, rotation, that I'd missed that, as actually says, the vestibular system has a strong influence on muscle tone, both generally and more specifically through certain neuromuscular reflexes. Anyway, I... I've missed that vestibular system can impact on all of muscle tone, that that can drive a, a readiness for action is what I'm in the latest reading, where I've thought it was specifically down the spine, you know, cervical thoracic, you know, lumbar. Um, is that right? And so some of these kids, I think there's also talks about the lower tone, you know, clumsy kids. And and I think she talks about that in terms of learning disorders in this particular book. Um, so is that because of a stib system perhaps wasn't processing well, either at the receptor or through the neural networks, landing at all the multiple sites, that in some mechanism wasn't functioning well and so that can contribute to an overall low body muscle tone? Yeah. So in terms of, you know, I mean, the vestibulospinal pathway mm. is a really particular pathway yes. that is activates postural yes. muscle tone. So we think about linear activation or mm. we think about even a rotation off of the midline. Mm. Any of those things can actually activate vestibulospinal processing. But what happens is that even just moving your eyes up and down does the same thing. Even just moving your wrists into pronation or neutral rotation because of the way that the proprioceptors, the body proprioceptors, and the vestibular apparatus are interacting with each other, especially around head and neck and eye movement. Mm -hmm. So some of it is that, yes, it is the vestibular 
input itself, but then some of it is is actually the way that the vestibular system supports the postural system. Mm -hmm. And for her, she had restricted all of that. So Mm -hmm. the vestibular movement wasn't even available to her. Mm -hmm. So we had to go back and treat through both. She needed enriched, enhanced, careful vestibular experiences, but she needed it paired into the adaptive sensory motor system that is our posture. I have a question about muscle tone as well then, because, and this relates to what we were talking about last week, which was state and the postural system. So I was, I'm wondering about is Dr. Ayers kind of trying to reference the fact that the vestibular system feeds into the reticular activating nuclei in the brainstem. And so as we stimulate the vestibular pathways, which there are many of, we're influencing the arousal states pretty quickly into that reticular activating pathway, which if I increase your arousal through that pathway, well, through any pathway with the reticular activating system, I'm going to increase tone in the whole body. Is that kind of where she's getting at here or yeah yeah. that's it okay and that's a readiness that movements coming or here body get ready like definitely the postural muscles but but everything else you might need to respond that's it michelle oh tracy i love um thinking about the process that you've worked through and it we've kind of talked about it in a few podcasts now but I really strikes me every time that there we move from this really process of learning very explicitly about a thing be it the vestibular system the neurodevelopmental sequence of how movement and um, unfolds how we might you know the equipment that we use what equipment helps flexion come about so we have these chunks of information that as we move through the information or learn the information, we want to test out in the clinic. So we get into what can we do with the flexion swing and how can we bring about dynamic shifting, for example, weight shifting, what will bring that on? What you've just reminded me exquisitely of is that the art of what we do is have all of that information in your brain but that you met that woman where she was at. You did some observations, maybe not even actual clinical, you know, formal clinical observation assessment process. You did observation, you took some information and made some, it provided you with what was working well and perhaps, you know, some cues about what was not working so well. You really started with this safety, you know, threat valence that we talk about often and then set a situation up where she felt safe that she was really had some agency over what was going to happen to her that you were really attuning to her body but but things that were of interest to her that you know that she was interested in in Dell for example um, and that you met her there supported her to feel safety and that you were trustworthy the room was a trustworthy that the swing that you you sat her on was an opportunity you know of the thing that she could explore in her own way that you allowed her to explore safety threat regulation in her own body before you took it into the realm of equipment and 
and that that was just a real moment by moment attuning and and making decisions, clinical decisions about what will I do next and that you suspended there was just a suspension and an allowing of what's going to unfold and how she's going to meet you with that and how she met you informed your next decision, your next moment, your next moment that you, we can go in with a treatment plan and a, a bank of knowledge, but then we just have to notice and respond, notice and respond and, and keep those principles of regulation of connection and the just right challenge that, guides our intervention and then we when we have that foundation that we can start to play around with yeah I'll start with flexion extension first for example and this equipment might help me get there for you know first but um that wasn't how you came into that so I know Corey you're really interested in um beginning therapists and how they you know and how we as beginning therapists got our head around all this information Mm, yeah just what you were saying made me think as a therapist it's the not knowing what you're going to do that feels hard it's the what am I going to do with this kid especially if you say you've been treating them for a few sessions and you you think oh well what are we going to do this session you kind of feel like you need to have a plan of some form but I just think about what Tracy did and the reason she could do that, she has studied the system to the nth degree. And, and we're not all going to be Tracy, right? We're not all going to know it to the way, <laughs> to the depth that she knows it. But I was driven and motivated by Tracy to go and look at the system and to understand how it works. But there's a big gap between learning the neurology of the vestibular system and knowing how to treat it. Mm. And so that gap is where it feels scary to just go with. But in the process as a therapist of learning more and more and more about how the vestibular system supports different functions, either the function of the eyes, the function of the postural system, the shifting of arousal, how it integrates with the other sensory systems, that process of unfolding and learning about that has allowed me to understand in treatment what crawling on the ground does or when I'm wrestling with a child how much do I shift them off and how much do I bring them back because if I'm not attuned and they want to wrestle and so that's something they're motivated by and we start wrestling and they are pretty compromised in their body schema and their ability to tolerate movement and I go too far I'm not going to understand quite where I trigger them off or why and so now I can understand you find upright pretty easy. And now if I just shift you this much, I'm activating the vestibular system and I'm watching, did the postural system make an adjustment or didn't it? And if it did, then great. I've given them just enough to create the adaptation. But if it didn't and you lost me or you you then fled or you got angry or whatever myriad of behaviors came about, I'm able to understand how I could probably adjust what I did for the next time. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard to learn that. But the more you understand how the vestibular system impacts function of the body, of the eyes, of arousal, and how it links with the other systems, the more you're going to be able to let go of the steps and the more you're going to be able to understand how you can embed 
vestibular opportunities into the games that you're playing and what the kid is interested in and how you can do it in a fun way because these, you know, Tracy didn't just get her on the swing and take her for a ride, which like you said, Michelle, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the mm. get them on the swing and get them moving. Whereas she was able to understand the principles of the vestibular system where that woman found safety and felt comfortable and maintain relationship while challenging all of those pieces and helping her move to that next level of adaptation around this whole piece. So it's mm. pretty amazing, this case that we've had today. So really thank you so much, Tracy, for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And just listening to both of you summarize, it was lovely and powerful. Like our work, mm. you know, we love talking to each other about this stuff and and I kind of never want this conversation to end because there's depth and depth and depth to it, right? It's so interesting and fun. And I thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.